You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Business with Purpose podcast. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. We have over 30 episodes in the archives that you can check out. And if this is your regular weekly routine, thank you so much for listening. Today, my guest is Sarah Beth Barnett. She is the founder of International Blessings, an ethical online shop, and also now monthly subscription box that is filled with beautiful curated artisan goods from all over the world. Sarah and I are sitting down chatting about her passion for international travel, even though she grew up on a 1,500-acre farm as a kid. And I mean, we talk about even the fact that she went on the world race. If you don't know what the world race is, it's 11 countries in 11 months. Yes. I had so many questions. We couldn't even get to them all. But Sarah and I had such a great conversation, and I know you're going to enjoy my time with her. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I am so excited to be sitting down with you today. Um, when you, when we first got connected, I guess, I don't even remember, like a month ago, a couple weeks ago, I don't know, something like that. Um, I was so excited to learn more about you and learn more about International Blessings. And just the more that I have come to, you know, mildly internet stock, as I like to say, <laughs> uh, the more I'm just like, okay, this person is clearly, like Sarah's clearly somebody that I need to be friends with. Um, So I am excited to have you on the show. I'm excited for our listeners to hear all about you and international blessings. And it's going to be fun. Today's going to be awesome. So to start off the way I have all my guests start off is to give us the Sarah 101. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, you know, tell us your story. Okay. Yeah. So I was born and raised on a 1500 acre uh, crop and cattle farm in Min, Missouri. Um, that's My awesome. Family. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love the farm life, but being a farm, being living on a farm, we were not travelers. Uh, if my dad had his way, I don't think we would ever leave the County. Um, <laughs> actually the only reason we ever left the state is because my mom's side of the family moved to Florida. So we did get to travel a little bit, but only to go see them yeah. was really the only reason we traveled. But as far as I can remember, I've always wanted to travel internationally. That's always been a passion of mine. And I have, I don't really know where it came from because I don't even know, even to, I mean, to this day, I don't know very many missionaries in my hometown. Mm -hmm. I mean, all my friends or people that I know are somewhere else. Yeah. And so that's crazy. But when I was in, when I was a teenager, I got a magazine called Brio from Focus on the Family. Have you heard of Brio? I have not. Okay. Well, it was a, it was for girl, Christian girls. And it talked a lot about faith and life. And, um, they took a mission trip every year. And when I was in eighth grade, they were going to Brazil and I wanted to go so bad. And I think my parents thought I was going through a phase because they said no, like they didn't even think about it. (laughs) They're like, yeah, Uh, not happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't travel on airplanes and nobody's gone overseas. So we're not doing that. But but I stuck with it. And when I was 17, they let me go to Ecuador 
through Brio, which is kind of funny because I went with a magazine, uh, but there was eight, like 600 of us that went to Ecuador, a lot of students and then leaders, 600 people on one trip through focus on the family. It was crazy. So we're talking like planes, like y'all just filled up planes. Right. And we came from all over the United States. So, wow. And we all flew into Fort Lauderdale for some training. And then we flew from there to Ecuador. Now, how long was this trip? Uh, I think it was about two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was about your, I guess, your typical short-term mission trip overseas. And we did like a, a drama. It was called The Toymaker's Son. And then we did community service. Yeah. And so it was really cool. And while I was in Ecuador is when I rededicated my life to Christ. And I also told God that I was willing to go anywhere, do anything, like whatever, anywhere, however, whatever, like whatever he called me to do, I was a willing vessel. Like I was ready and willing, but I had no idea what that was going to entail at the moment that I told him that. And so the following year, I got to go back with Brio to Panama. And then I started, shortly after that, I started going to College of the Ozarks in Branson, Missouri. And I went on several mission trips through the college. And on one of the mission trips, I I set it up on my own, but I went to go see, to serve alongside agriculture missionaries in Burkina Faso, West Africa which is a pretty small country. Most haven't heard of it. Have you heard of Burkina Faso? Well, funny story. So (laughs) this is really random, but just very timely. So last night, my husband and I were playing. um, It's like we he made up this game where we had to. um, Have you ever heard of Sporkle? It's like a quiz website. Like it has like random quizzes and like trivia and stuff. Like we were having an at at home date night. Our life is really glamorous. (laughs) So we were playing Sporkle and like we uh, we would pick quizzes and then like take the quiz and whoever got the most right would win that round. And we had like seven rounds. Anyway, our like tie breaking round was whoever could name the most countries in Africa. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I know. And we actually did break because there's 54 and I got 47. He got 46. Like we were pretty close, but Burkina Faso was one of the ones that like I did end up getting it, but I was, I I remember I was looking at it on the map and I was like, I know what this is. What is it called? And then I remembered like right at the last minute and like Burkina Faso was like my, uh, it was my clutch my clutch country <laughs> to win the quiz last night. Anyway, so that's why. So, yes, I have heard of it. <laughs> that's crazy. And it was my winning country. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, Burkina Faso <laughs> is is also in like the top 10 poorest countries in the world. Yeah. And when I was there, I just remember the thing I remember the most is that everything was red. I mean, everything was red. I mean, it's right on the right on the edge of a desert or part of the desert. And there's just no green. Everything's so red. Interesting. Um, But I was there serving alongside some agriculture missionaries. And I became friends with the girl next door, which neither of us spoke the other's language, like at all. We might have been able to say hello. That was probably the extent of it. But her and her mom or her family made these macrame handbags. Macrame is like a form of knotting Mm -hmm. um, to make bags. And they taught me how to make a bag and they sent me home with supplies. 
And I got to thinking about how if I could purchase like a bunch of these bags and sell them in the States, like what kind of difference would that make on this family's life? Mm -hmm. And I did buy several and sadly I don't have contact with them anymore, but that's where the idea of international blessings really got started. Like that's where the dreaming started taking place. So how how long were you in Burkina Faso? I was there for a month. And, and what year was this? Oh, it was in 2007. It was June of 2007. Okay. And you, I may have missed this, but were you still, you were still in college at the time or you had just graduated? Mm, No, but I was still in college. I had another semester. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so, and I, I went on a couple trips through the college. This one in particular, I met up with missionaries that I had been in contact with for about two years. Um, yeah, I went from, so most of my trips have been very, a lot of them have been very sporadic feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I bought, like I found out and bought my tickets a month before I left. Oh my goodness. Is like a lot of them. Or in one instance I had, uh, a couple from church say, Hey, what are you doing for spring break? And it was like August. And I was like, well, I don't know That's like six months away. And they're like, well, we want to send you to India. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I've had some really crazy things and that's like, you know, being raised as a farmer, it's not like we had a ton of money, but, but God always provided. I think Burkina Faso was my seventh country that I'd been to. Wow. And most of those trips, they just kind of like fell in my lap. You know, I mean, obviously I have to be available and I have to pursue them, but I didn't do a lot of searching. It was very clear that it's where God wanted me to be at the times that he took me. At that that time. Yeah. 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 And so obviously Burkina Faso was one of those, one of those examples. And that's really where this business idea came from, but I wasn't done traveling. And so that international blessings business idea kind of was put on a back burner and I, well, Looking back, I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, right before I left for Burkina Faso, I met a boy, and he was going to Honduras, which was kind of fun, Um, and later that semester, we started dating, and I graduated, and he was finishing up school, and I came across this mission trip called the World Race. Have you ever heard of the World Race? I have. Yes. So the world race is they are through adventures and mission and adventures and missions out of Gainesville, Georgia. And it's 11 countries in 11 months serving out of a backpack, living with the people like eating on $2 a day. I mean, just like this crazy, cool adventure serving God. And when I, the first time I saw it, I thought, Oh my gosh, God, please. Can I go like, this is my dream of doing this. But I thought God was going to tell me no, because I'd already been to several countries and I just knew that God was telling me, like, I just knew that God was going to say no, because the next time I went overseas, it was going to be a long-term trip. And so I had a really hard time. I don't know, like accepting that he would want me to go on this. And so, but finally I was like, okay, I think, I think you want me to go on this. And I was pretty, me and my boyfriend were pretty serious. Like I was expecting to marry this guy Mm -hmm. and we'd been dating for 10 months. 
when I left the country for 11 months. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so and he did not go with you. He did not go with me. And we had wanted to meet up maybe like halfway through, but that did not happen. But we made it through. We were actually the only couple on my world race that were dating when we left and were still dating slash got married when I came home. Wow. Yeah. So that was really exciting. And so we, I came home from the world race, which was, I mean, absolutely a dream come true. It was, I know. I have so many questions. So, yeah. <laughs> like, so many questions. well, okay. so, okay. So, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so we were engaged. So I came home in September of 09. We were engaged Christmas Eve. We got married in May and I had gone, I went to, when the Haiti earthquake happened, I left 10 days after it happened to go to Haiti for a week to help with logistics and serving refugees and t- stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the last mission trip I went on for five years. Wow. And I, after getting married, I got a job that I was miserable at and I had two kids. And so it was like, how do I travel with kids? And actually when I had my first child and I'm thinking, man, I need, this is when, this is the perfect time to start this business. Like, why am I not doing something? I, I'm not able to travel right now. And so that's when I got started with International Blessings was in 2012. And today I have three kids, five, three, and eight months. Wow. And just trying to work on a business at the same time as I raise them. Wow. Okay. So we're going to get to international blessings a little bit more okay. in a minute, but I do have, I have so many questions. Okay. <laughs> First. Um, okay. So we're going to go way back uh, okay. to the, the beginning when you said you grew up on a 1500 acre farm. So, yeah. so you said it was a cattle and dairy farm. Crops. Crops. We raised um, wheat, corn, beans, and then we also did square and round bale hay and straw. And then we had 60 head of cattle that we did from breeding to finish. So was this like, was farming always in your family or was like your dad a first generation farmer or is he just like, he was carrying on the family business? Uh, I would say that it's been in my family for generations. I'd say that my dad was kind of the first larger farm. Uh, my grandpa, they had some acreage and they did like, they rented land, Mm -hmm. but my dad and uncle moved. They grew up near St. Louis in St. Charles County. And so they moved to mid-Missouri in order to actually buy cropland and to start a farm. Yeah. So in a way, it's a first. They were first generations, but they were carrying on how they've been raised too. And so now, do you still live on a farm? Kind of. So we live. We currently live two miles from the family farm. So my husband helps. I haven't helped too much since having children, but. If they need something, I'm usually out there trying to help some way. And my husband helps with hay and straw a lot. Um, and But we are actually moving within a month or so to Branson, Missouri, because my husband got a job at College of the Ozarks. Oh, that's awesome. Like so it's, Everything's like come full circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's super crazy. And that's actually he moved. We moved to Columbia or near Columbia, Missouri, so that he could go to the university in Missouri to get his master's because he wanted to get a teaching position at college of the Ozarks. And so it is kind of full circle. And he is 
the assistant manager at the dairy farm, and then he also manages the feed mill. That is so cool. Uh, the reason I ask that is because John and I, like, we have this, well, I say we have, like, we, we both share the same dream. There are different parts of it that are that we do not share. <laughs> we both, like, like our long-term vision is, like, we want to buy land in this area and have a small farm. But um, he, I do not have a green thumb, like, at all. I've tried year after year to have a garden. It is just not, I, it is not my thing. Uh <laughs> I'm like, I, I want to. I would love to yeah. be a gardener. It's not. <laughs> I kill I kill everything. Um, but, you know, anyway. So I just like, I always like to, when people either have a background in farming or whatever, I'm like, tell me. Tell me what it was like. <laughs> um, awesome. yeah. I love the farm life. Yeah. I couldn't imagine not having the farm life that I have. That's what we have, grow a garden, but we've we've moved several times the last couple of years. And so it's been like three years since I've had an yeah. actual garden yeah. and it, I don't like it. I like to have my garden. So I've been having to steal from my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now you said you don't have internet before. This is before we were recording, but you said you don't have internet at your house. Is that just like, you just happen to, is like your internet out right now or are you just like, no, you guys don't have internet? I, I'm not sure. I think it's the internet company issue. Oh. <laughs> okay. So you, you're not just like cho- choosing to not have internet. Right. Well, no, we are not choosing. Okay. I, that was one of, that was a big issue. Like, it's hard to run an internet business. Yeah. Without internet. I was going <laughs> to say. I was like. I was like. I mean, that's amazing. I would love to know your ways. Um, okay. So, world race. So yeah. it's eleven months. What countries can you remember? What countries you went to? I'm assuming you can. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. We went. Do you want a whole list? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would love to know. Okay. So we actually hit more like 14 because we traveled through a couple of them, but I'll just tell you the ones that we actually served in. So we went to the Philippines, China, including Hong Kong, though that was a debrief. And then we went to Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, India, Ukraine, Romania, Croatia, Guatemala, Mexico, Nicaragua, and we finished up debrief in Costa Rica. Wow. Now, so do you, how many people are on your particular team? So my world, so we were the, we were G squad. So A, B, C, D, E, F. We were the seventh, if I did the right math there, the seventh squad to ever have gone out on the world race. Wow. They go through the alphabet and they're on like the third generation of the alphabet, right? So they're like a lot. So I was one of the very first squads to leave. Mm-hmm. And there was 50 on our squad and our teams were made up of six to seven, typically two guys and then four or five girls. Wow. And so you would just kind of like, how long would you stay in each place? Right at a month. Right at a month. Okay. So yeah, so it's 11, 11 countries, 11 months basically. Yes. Okay. So and you said it's just like you live out of a backpack. Like I just, I'm like, I'm so fascinated by this. Cause I mean, I had heard of it, but I didn't, you know, I just don't know honestly that much about it. And obviously I haven't been on it. Um, is it like all young people? I know they have like an age range, like typically mm-hmm. in the 21 to 35 ish, but are there yeah. like, are there parents on this trip? Are there like nope. husbands? Why? Like, I'm just like, I, I know. Nope. I'm like, I can't imagine being a parent and doing that. But. <laughs> we had squad leaders which were like for ours, for ours, it started out as like an alumni world racer. 
And then halfway through the race, they switched to, they chose one or two people from our squad to lead us. And then we also had squad mentors, which were like parents. Yeah. Now what, and you said you just like, you serve in each country you know, like, how, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't even know what to okay. ask. Cause like, I'm, yeah, I'm like, tell me more. Okay. This is so, so fascinating. Out, yeah. So we lived out of like a hiking backpack and then I had like a school backpack. That's amazing. So that's literally what I had for 11 months and wow. we send some things home, but that was a little, it was kind of hard to do that unless like our mentors were in town and were willing to take stuff back for us. So we weren't able to get a lot of souvenirs, sadly. Yeah. But, uh, so I would carry like two pairs of pants and a skirt and three shirts. I mean, that's like literally what I carried. And then every once in a while I would switch out a shirt or something, or I had a dress made in Africa and a skirt made in Africa. And so I would figure out what can I get rid of so that I can fit these items in my bag. We carried a tent with us. And we carried like our cookware. So in the Philippines, we lived at um, a orphanage type place or it was going to be an orphanage. We did construction work. We helped mix concrete and work on a feeding center. And they fed us all our meals there. But then another place, like when we were in Africa, we did a lot of our own cooking for our meals. Like in Uganda, we had to haul our own water out of the well. We had to boil it for 20 minutes, which when you live that life, you tend to cheat the cheat and just pray really hard that you don't get sick. Oh my goodness. Just kind of. And we lucked out or I never got, I got sick one time only. I think it was on India airport food of all things. Yeah. Get sick from the airport after living in Africa and hauling water. I know. (laughs) Wow. And my whole squad got really, or most of my squad got sick in Kenya over Christmas debrief. And I'm not sure what happened there. I did not get sick, thankfully, which I, I say that because I grew up on a farm. I think that I have a lot more of like a better immune system Yeah, than a lot of people. Because uh, I actually, besides that instance with the India airport, I've never been sick overseas and I've been to 20 plus countries and I've been in like the poor of yeah. the poor areas. Yeah. So I think a lot of it is being smart about what you're eating and what you're doing. And the other part is just, I don't know, maybe being faithful a little bit. I mean, I know there's instances like in Africa where we'd go to somebody's home and they would serve us tea or they'd serve us, I don't know, who knows what they served us. And we had to eat it because if we didn't, it was super rude. Yes, I know. We, um, my last trip to Kenya back in January we did a ton of home visits and I mean, that was like a large chunk of what we were doing was doing these home visit, home visits. And on one of the home visits, we had been there for a while and like it, it was getting dark and like we were in an area where you really, especially if you're a Mzungu, which is a white person. Right. Yeah. If you're a Mzungu, like you, you don't want to be out after dark in this particular area. And so it was like already getting dark. And then then she brings in bread and chai tea. And we're like, oh, no, because <laughs> like, you, you have to take it like you 
Right. You just have to take it. And you're like, Lord, bless this. <laughs> like, bless this. No, let me get sick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and usually with the tea, it's not too bad because it is hot, but you just you just never right. know. Because especially if they put, because they always put milk in it. Mm-hmm. So you're just like, okay, you're just rolling the, you're rolling the dice. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, so, I mean, this whole experience, I mean, obviously this was not the first time that you traveled internationally. Um, right. but I mean, I could, we probably should have an entire podcast just talking about your, your experience on the world <laughs> I race. Talk that long. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's amazing, but I mean, obviously, this was at a time in your life you had, you know, you had a you were in a serious relationship and you were apart from that person. You'd been doing a lot of traveling. You're at sort of that pivotal post-graduation time of your life. What Mm -hmm. was it about that trip that really solidified your passion for, um, you know, for developing nations and um, but but more specifically, the you know, what opportunity looks like in developing nations and empowerment, um, Mm -hmm. you know, hand, hand ups instead of handouts. What was it about that trip? Was there a particular moment or was it just sort of a series of events that really, you know, solidified that, that belief for you? Yeah, uh, man, one of the biggest things, and I've noticed this a lot overseas in general, but when I was traveling, I mean, it made it hard because I had that significant relationship back home, Mm -hmm. but traveling, especially Africa, it was like home to be honest. Like that's one of the biggest things I struggle with being stateside is I feel like half of me is missing because that's like, that's where I thought I'd be right now is I thought I'd be living in a hut in Africa with those people. Like that's, that's where half my heart is. Cause obviously mm-hmm. most of my heart's with my family, but if I could pick up my family and move, I would move in a heartbeat. And I think the world race solidified that that, like that was a part of me and it was always going to be a part of me regardless mm-hmm. of what the future looked like. And there were so many different oper- experiences that I had overseas that like when I was overseas, that's the closest that I've ever felt to God. Mm-hmm. Like that's where my faith just was huge rocketed like the trust. I mean, when you, I mean, there was a lot of instances that we were relying on God. I mean, completely things that we would never, like, we don't even like, we used to talk about relying on God here in the States, but we have it so easy. Mm -hmm. And when you're overseas, it's so different. And I mean, there was a ton of different instances overseas that, that have led me, you know, further in international blessings. And I had that in the back of my head and I was looking for opportunities and I was looking for networking and different artisans and things like that while I was overseas. But one of the things that really hit me in general was just the poverty. I mean, the poverty and yet the people are just the most generous, hospitable people you will ever meet. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always go back to Africa. That's where, that's just where my heart is. And I mean, these people can't even, I mean, they don't have enough food for their own family. And yet they're insisting that they feed you a Mzungu that is going to eat the next, you know, as soon as they leave, probably Mm -hmm. they give you the clothes off their back. I mean, they're just so generous. They're so full of hope and love and they're just content, you know, like, I mean, obviously they want more. And the other thing is charity, what we're used to seeing in the charity, it just isn't working. Mm -hmm. I mean, so many times that we would see, I don't want to mention any names or anything, but you know, we'd see different 
nonprofit names, for instance, or charity names. And it's like, oh, those shirts are doing a real good, you know, in a pile in the market, you know, or yep. I mean, just the massive amount of clothes that we have sent to Africa has only hurt their economy. Oh, completely. completely. Oh my gosh. I mean, it was depressing. I mean, I mean, yeah, there's cheap clothes and maybe they have some clothes, but it's not helping them in the long run. It's, if anything, mm-hmm. it's making it worse. Yep. And the other thing is when we were crossing, one of the stories that's always stuck with me is when we were crossing the border into Uganda. So I don't want, I hope, I mean, I don't want to come across as like, I mean, cause I like this definitely hits me home, but when you're in this environment, you start to almost get used to it. As horrible yeah. as that sounds, you almost get used to it to a degree. And I'll explain more in a minute, but so we're in, we were crossing over into Uganda and there was of course all these little kids begging, you know, rags, just poverty. And you're trying to, you know, keep your stuff safe. You're trying to kind of keep them back because I mean, I've been there where you like give candy and then you're mobbed. I mean, Oh yeah. So, yeah. It's and crazy. You just have to, right. And you have to be very careful in how you act and how you keep your possessions. And mm-hmm. as desperately as you want to help these children, just giving them money, isn't going to help them. A lot of times it doesn't even go to them and it goes to somebody else who uses it for their own gain. Yeah. And this kid kept pointing at my yogurt container, which was empty in my backpack. I hadn't found a trash can yet. And so finally I give it to him and he licks it clean. And I'm just like, I mean, that's like when my heart broke like all over again. And I was just like, God, like, I don't know what to do right here in this instance. I don't know how I'm going to make a difference, but like, I have to do something. And I don't want to be one of these charities that dumps clothes or dumps whatever it is into their country. Like I want to empower these people. I want to give these children allow these children's parents to have an opportunity that they can keep their dignity and have hope and sustainability. Like, like I don't, you know, these, these kids need an education. They need to know that there's more to it. And when we go over there and we just start giving things out, it creates a handout mentality. Yeah. That's why when we go overseas, they're always begging because that's what they're used to. It's not that they want to beg. It's not that they like handouts. I personally believe it's the complete opposite. Yep. If you offered them a job or offered them a handout, they take that job hands down. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So I just, yeah, it was just, it was heartbreaking. The desperation we lived in Uganda, we lived in a, next to an international or an internal displaced, I guess it was international displaced persons camp due to the, the Rwanda genocide and, and things like that. And it was just heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, it's kids go through. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny after the the few trips that I have been on because I've only been to Kenya on um, missions trips and uh, service trips, and I, you know, I've talked about this before on the podcast, and I share about this a lot on my blog. Like one of the things that I really love about um, the way my church and uh, and the organization that we work with does missions is they just, I really feel very strongly that they do it right because they don't, I mean, one, every time I've gone back, I go to the same place. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you're developing long-term relationships. Like I feel like I have, I legitimately feel like I have a family there um, and friends there. And, 
you know, they're people that I have now developed relationships with over the past few years. And I'm friends with them, you know, some of them on Facebook, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, it's you get to know them, you get to know their families, you get to know their stories. Um, and then additionally, it's just it's all about empowering them and just being there to support and and find ways, whether, you know, we're working in a, um, you know, like my church, for example, we have we partnered with a very rural village that is in the uh, just like basically at the base of the Aberdare Mountains and um, and kind of like it's about two, three and a half what? hours north of Nairobi. Okay. And this particular village we've partnered with for, gosh, I mean, I went for the first time in 2011 and that was the second or third trip our church. So probably eight plus years um, that we've partnered with this particular village and we go back um, every year, sometimes twice a year. And and what what you know, what they did at the beginning was they identified what are the needs of the community. So, you know, at the beginning it was things like um, – you know, more resources for the school. I mean, the school, when we first went there, had no roof, no floor, you know, like, I mean, it had nothing. It was basically a shell. And so, you know, schooling, um, there was a lot of just in general spiritual apathy, um, especially Mm -hmm. among the men, especially among the men. Um, Everything from, you know, access to clean water, things like that. And so what they did was they developed this eight-year or I think it's an eight to 10 year plan um, to just give them support to achieve their goals for improving the village, the quality of life in the village. And, you know, over the years, like we, we didn't do anything for them, but we would go and assist them. We would support them. And, and now this year, this summer, we're actually going to be releasing that village. Um, And so we won't, you know, we won't have a, official partnership with them anymore. I mean, I'm sure when we go back to Kenya, you know, we'll stop in and say hey and visit because they're family. But mm-hmm. they're now they're now self-sustaining. We we worked our you know, we they achieved their goals. Um and that's the whole point. The whole point is not to go in there and do it for them. Right. Because that does not that does nothing. <laughs> that teaches them oh. nothing. But and to, they don't take ownership in it. Exactly. Exactly. But in this in this case, they really took ownership. Right. And yeah. and now and you know, now we're like, well, I, I, I guess our work is done. And like it's both sad, but at the same time, like that was the whole goal to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so now we'll be releasing them this year and then um, you know, we'll we'll hopefully do then the same thing with another community. So Anyway, all to say that like you and I share very much the same passion, the same opinions. Um, And I love that that you because a lot of times you you hear people who will come back from these trips or and they'll be like, man, that was really great. And then they put, you know, a picture of them with a kid from a village as their Facebook profile picture and then they never do anything again. Um, But you you didn't you 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 came back and you said, I'm going to actually do something about it. I'm, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to actually walk in the walk. <laughs> wow. um, yeah. So tell, so tell us about international blessings. Tell us, um, you know, what, what they do, what, what you do and um, all that. Okay. Yeah. So international blessings partners with third world artisans uh, to help them sell their products in order to, keep their dignity, have hope and sustainability. And so I, we partner directly with 
artists and groups that are already established or starting to get established. That's what I'm most excited about is working with the really small ones, the ones that are like just getting a foot out. But I also work with a lot of um, ones that are, they're already set up and I, I support them in what they're already doing in the community. For instance, I work with a group called Papillon in Haiti they are like transforming this area of Port-au-Prince. It's absolutely phenomenal what this, what started to be small. The lady went down there to, to adopt a child only to find that it wasn't an orphan problem as much as a parents didn't have jobs. So they couldn't keep their kids and they had a better life in an orphanage than they would with their parents. And so most of these kids had parents, but they were in an orphanage because it was better than living on the street. Yep. And yep. so she started this group called Papillon and I actually got to visit them in 2015 in September of 2015. And it was just awesome what they do. And like you were talking about in your village and in Kenya, like they've established the relationships. They are building on to what is going on in that community. They didn't go in there and say, Hey, you need to know this and this and this. They went in there and said, Hey, what do you already know? Yeah. What yeah. are, what are you already doing and how can we support you in that. And they have a goal of, of employing like a thousand plus people in this community. And they've already just made such a huge difference. And they're known throughout the community as a safe place and as a place that to be trusted. I mean, to, to build, to build a, like I'm sure in in your village in Kenya too, when we go overseas and we start something the moment we know we're actually making a difference is when we are accepted. Yep, exactly. You know, as one of theirs. And it's really, it can be really hard to be accepted because they're so used to people coming and leaving. And leaving and, none, and then not doing anything ever again. Right. Yeah, never. Oh, we're going to come back. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then they never hear again from you. And yep. so it was very important me to go ahead to, for me to go ahead and partner with people that were already established in their communities, building relationships, creating opportunity and employment and, and hope for these people right where they were at. And especially since I didn't have the ability to travel. I mean, honestly, my heart and what I hope to eventually do with international blessings is I want to go into some of them, like one of the most poorest areas in the world. And I want to be the one to establish those relationships and to become family to those people and to help them create an artisan group or create employment that they can be proud of. Like that is my ultimate dream is to actually go in and do that myself. Yeah. But that's not where God has me right now, which has been a huge struggle. And, and probably one of the hardest things about running the business is because yes, my heart is in it. My passion is in it, but I want to be on the field and that, and it's hard. It's hard to be content here. Yes. I completely understand and, and relate to that. Yeah. And so we currently partner with about 22 artisan groups in 15 countries and we sell everything. I've gotten way overboard when it comes to inventory. I, I work outside of my house. We mostly sell at festivals and craft shows. That was the big aspect of our business. And we've now are into subscription boxes, which I love doing subscription boxes and we are trying to get online as well. But my biggest, one of the struggles too, is that 
when I hear about an artisan group and the difference that's going on there, for instance, I had a group out of Zambia email me, it's called Zambezi and they sell, um, like chapstick Mm -hmm. and their story is about empowering, like it's the people that have started this group. I don't even know that there was Mazungas involved and they've created these co-ops for these farmers and the local women to create these chapstick that has all the certifications and everything. And I'm like, well, I mostly sell jewelry, but I'll add chapstick on there too. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, I'll take it. Give me all the (laughs) chapstick. Yeah. And so I just have almost a chaos of products right now because I, it's so hard for me to say no to a story of empowerment. I want to support them so bad. And so we carry mostly jewelry, earrings, bracelets, scarves, uh, toys, ornaments. I have flip-flops from Haiti and chapstick from Zambia and (laughs) uh, all these different places, but um, mostly jewelry. And so... That's amazing. Now, when did you start the Box of Blessings? I started those in the fall of 2014. Um, I haven't, until this year, I haven't pushed them a lot uh, just because it's hard raising kids. It in is. A and I haven't exactly had childcare. So it's mostly been like nap time or nighttime in working. And that's one thing I'm excited when we move down to Branson. I'll have my two older ones will be in childcare every day, cheap childcare, thankfully on campus, which is awesome. So I'll just have my eight month old at home. Um, and so I'm really hoping that we can make even greater impact with international blessings this year. That is amazing. Well, I I'm giggling a little bit because I am there. I'm there with you. Like, yeah, I've got two little ones under my daughter's three and a half. My son's one. And yeah, I mean, it's not that I mean, obviously, my husband, but he he's gone. He's works during the day. So um, yeah, I, you know, yeah. So it it is a challenge. It's a challenge. I mean, every single day people are like, well, how do you how do you do it? I'm like, I I don't know, actually. I'm not sure. Um, a lot of times I don't (laughs) like, right, exactly. And it's like, um, I don't really feel like I am doing anything. Like I feel like this whole list of things I should be doing just don't happen. And they're like, but you are doing these things. I'm like, I'm glad you see it because I'm struggling sometimes. Yes. Yes. It is hard. And it's, yeah. Oh my goodness. So Sarah, I'm, I'm with you, girl. (laughs) I feel you, you can do it. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, I, I would just say that, um, from everything that I have seen of you, you are doing it. And you are, I mean, working moms, you know, whether you work from home or you work out of the home or whether you just stay home, like motherhood is hard enough um, as it is. And then when you also add trying to run your own business into it, it is, it is no small feat. So Mm. I will just say you're doing awesome. Keep up the good work. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. And I think that too helps with like the passion behind it. I know there's been so many times that it's like, God, if you hadn't called me to this, if this wasn't like where my heart and my life is, like I, sometimes I'm just like, why am I still doing this? And it's like, because I can't give it up. I can't because then it's like letting those people down. You know, it's like, I have to do like, God has called me to international blessings. He has called me to do whatever I can to make an impact, to give my customers the ability to make the impact on these countries, on these families. And that helps tremendously in 
keeping going and putting one foot in front of the other is just that the heart behind it, you know, and the, like, I have to do this. It doesn't matter how hard it gets. It doesn't matter how I don't have any time or any energy or any focus. I still have to do it. I just have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of times it's just like every, you wake up every day and you're just like, I, I don't know how today's going to work, but it's just going to like, God, <laughs> you do your thing and yeah. we're just going to, we're going to make it happen. Yeah, definitely. Well, I just, I mean, like I said, I would just say that I think what you are doing and I think that you are just, is really inspiring. Um, And I don't just say that. I mean, sometimes I catch myself because I'm like, I feel like I say that things are inspiring (laughs) a lot, but it's true. I mean, and I, and I, I mean that um, because there are a lot of people doing inspiring things. Yeah. I mean. (laughs) <laughs> that is true. That is true. Not to when they all are doing amazing things. That is true. But I think what's really cool in the different people that I talk to, and then when I talk to somebody like you, is you know it's so evident to me that God just puts pe- puts the right people in the right places at the right time where they need to be, and mm-hmm. everybody's calling is a little bit different. Not everybody's calling is the same, and not everybody feels like you know, that they have, that they're called to do, you know, not everybody is called to do a, you know, fair trade online shop. <laughs> not right. everybody's called to do an ethical subscription box. Not every everybody's called to be a wedding photographer. Whatever it is, like, you can serve people, you can serve others, whether it's your community or internationally, mm-hmm. you know, wherever you are. And that's one of the things that I just really try to show people, um, just in my own life, but also on my blog and through this podcast is like, I just, I want to show people that whatever calling or whatever passion has been placed on your life or on your heart, like that's what, that's what you're supposed to do (laughs) and and follow that. And don't, um, don't think it's silly. Don't think it's, you know, some people are like, well, I'm just a graphic designer. I'm like, if you're just a, that doesn't mean that you're just a graphic designer. Like you can serve your clients, you can serve your community or you can, you know, I don't know what the, there's a quote and I don't know who said it, but there's like a quote about just, um, you know, good people do good things with money. And so the more money that a good person has, so if you earn, if you work and your business is successful and you're a good person, then right, you can do good right. things with that money. Um, so because I think there's also this misconception that like, well, if you don't run a nonprofit or you don't work directly in a developing nation, you know, mm-hmm. that you can't be making an impact. I'm like, no, we, we need people right. to own businesses that make money <laughs> so that right. they can then take right. that money. I, I would say that's something that I've struggled <laughs> with a little bit, too. I mean, I chose to not go the nonprofit route because I feel like I would be almost being a little bit of a hypocrite. I mean, I'm trying, I'm wanting to be an example for these artisans, for these families that you can run a business and not need handouts. And so to me, that's been a a real key feature in my business is, you know, being that example for these artisans. And a lot of the artisan groups I I'm working with, they started out as nonprofits and they've changed to businesses because in order to be legal in their country, in order to make the biggest difference for their artisans And I have been very inspired by a lot of the people that have been on your podcast because I didn't realize that there was that many out there that had chose not to go that route. Yeah, the for-profit route is more common than I think people realize. Yeah, and I honestly, to me, I also feel like as a for-profit, 
in a social enterprise, I can make a greater impact because I'm not buried under regulation. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I, I can give money or support wherever I feel God's leading me or where my business is leading me. I don't have to worry about tax forms and government, whatever. I can go do those things instead of dealing with red tape and yeah. having that, having that flexibility and having that, you know, ability just to follow my heart has just been really awesome. But we, the population is definitely still trying to figure us out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Sarah, when, um, you know, how can our listeners connect with you online if they want to shop from International Blessings, if they want to get a, uh, order a box of blessings, what is the best way for people to connect with you online? Sure. If you go to internationalblessings.com, you can find all of our links there. If you click the box of blessings link, it'll take you over to our boxes to order. We have a, you can buy either month to month, a three month prepaid or a six month prepaid. And that has three to four items. We also donate $3 to poverty fighting causes like Compassion or Heifer International, as well as small artisan groups. Or we also have a favorite of the month, which is, I think, $15 a month. And that's an also a great opportunity as well if you're just wanting to try it out. And then also at internationalblessings.com, we have a shop button that has a lot of inventory on there. I actually currently, until the end of the month, have a massive sale. So if you're looking for ethical products for really affordable prices, that is the place to go because I am trying to get my inventory under control right now before we move four hours away. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that's the best place to find me. And then you can find me on all social media at either International Blessings or abbreviated ITL Blessings. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. I I just had such a great time talking with you. And uh, part of me is really wishing now that I had, you know, really known about the world race 10 years ago and I could have gone on it because, yeah, there's there ain't no no chance I'm going on an 11 month trip (laughs) these days. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, so I mean, and and you're just going to have to come back on the show at some point and we're just going to talk about the world race like yeah. at length because I, yeah, I, I was like the more you were telling me, I was like, Oh my gosh, I want to, I want to know more about that. I want to know more about that. We don't have enough time. Well, uh, and I, yeah. I have some pretty crazy stories. I would love to hear them. Uh, so Sarah, thank you. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Yes. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Now how many of you want to go on a world race, right? I am kind of sad that I didn't know that that existed 10 years ago because I'm pretty sure that I would have gone on one of the world races. I loved my conversation with Sarah. She is such an amazing person. She is so smart. She's so driven. And she just has the biggest heart. I am so thankful that she was able to come on the show and share her story with me and share her story with you guys. As always, thank you guys for tuning in each week. If you have not already, please head on over to iTunes and make sure you're subscribed to the show and leave us a review. Leaving a review of the show really helps us to get the show out there and just you know gives me the feedback that I need to know what you're loving. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you guys next week. Bye.